Welcome or welcome back to Pre our Excellence of Roots Base Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. And some days it just doesn't go your way. Sometimes it just doesn't go your way. Back in the day, back in the day, back in the day, I grew up listening to Chicago Bulls games on the radio. Now, this was a long time ago. You're thinking, oh, a long time ago, like, uh, after Michael Jordan retired? No, 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 no. Like, when Michael Jordan was playing? Well, yeah, I was listening to him then, too. But uh, more, more along the lines, like uh, when David Greenwood was on the team and was good, uh, you get your David Greenwood, Reggie Theus, uh, a little bit before that, a little bit of Scotty May, a little bit of Artis Gilmore. Um, I don't really know if I was listening to the Bulls on radio very much. In the, with the really good team in the mid-70s. Bob Love, Chet Walker, um, Norm Van Leer, Jerry Sloan, that squad. But uh, Bulls on radio for a long time and Bulls on TV for a bit of the time. Johnny Red Kerr was the announcer. Not the announcer, the play-by-play guy, the color guy. Jim Durham was the announcer. He was fantastic. He was why I listened. He is how I learned how to assess timeouts because he did it every single time. He got it right every single time. And by learning when he was calling timeouts and who he was assessing the timeout to, I understood. Now, I can't really explain it in words to you, but I at least know how it used to be done back in the 70s and 80s. How it's done now, I have no idea. But it used to be... There was, there was protocol. The protocol was followed, and Jim Durham followed the protocol. I listened to enough Bulls games on radio. I understood the protocol of who was going to be getting the next time out and why. It started with the premise of the 6.59 timeout. But uh, Johnny Red Kerr, who had been the Bulls' first head coach back in 66-67, was the color commentator within a within a decade and he had a term that he often used early ripe early rotten early ripe early rotten in an NBA game occasionally you'd have a team they would run out to a 17 to 2 lead it's like dude this is going to be easy we're going to absolutely spank these guys it's not even going to be and the other team is suddenly ahead and early ripe early rotten early ripe early rotten early ripe early rotten it doesn't only happen in the NBA. Um, Iowa, AAA. <sighs> I saw who started. Matt Swarmer started. He actually did very well. Went uh, six innings. Maybe allowed a run. Maybe didn't allow a run. He, he pitched really well. If that was what he was constantly giving out, then he would be the next guy to get a look at the major leagues. But that hasn't really happened so much. Um, Iowa led... Much of the way, um, Ian Miller, two for five. Jared Young, one for five, two RBIs. Uh, one for four, two RBIs. Jared Young is going to be a brutal 40-man roster call. Absolutely brutal call. Levi Jordan, two for three, two walks, run scored, RBI. Marcus Walden, who was recently acquired, blown save. Omaha, four, Cubs, three. Not going to get too hung up on it. The I-Cubs have some struggles going on, and they, 
If anyone does well there, they get called up to the major league club and somebody else gets released. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's struggle bus time for the I-Cubs. No game in Tennessee. They are still on COVID protocol. South Bend, Joe Nahas has been fantastic. Today, there were at least two innings, maybe a third inning, where he just couldn't get the third out. Just could not get the third out. He'd get two outs. No runs had scored, one run had scored, and all of a sudden they get two, three more hits, and it's a blowout inning. Four innings, seven hits, five runs earned. Just a brutal day for Nahas. Um, just couldn't get out of innings. Burl Caraway came on in relief later. Inning and two-thirds, two walks, two strikeouts, no runs, which is a fantastic Burl Caraway outing because he got five outs and only walked two guys and struck out two. Um, Caraway, boy, he so much reeks of Brendan Little. Um, starts off really poorly, starts off really poorly, starts off really poorly, eventually figures it out and everything's all good. Uh, Ed Duarniel Nunez, who is on my 40-man off-season watch list, Inning and a third, one hit, one walk, one strikeout. By the time he got in, I was no longer listening. I had some things I had to get done. Bryce Windham, three for four. Walk. Uh, let's see. His RBI drove in half of their runs. Johendrick Piango, one for three, two walks. Jonathan Perlaza, one for three with a walk. Um, seven to two loss. Again, really not a whole lot to talk about. So I was out doing some things. I was out doing some things, got home, and I knew that Daniel Palencia was starting for Myrtle Beach. Daniel Palencia is one of those guys I really like to follow. That said, I had some things I had to get done. Got back home, flipped on the audio noise machine for the Myrtle Beach game, and Myrtle Beach had just taken the lead in the bottom of the first inning. They had five first-inning hits, four first-inning hits in succession. And it was looking like a blasted blowout. Myrtle Beach was going to win like 94-3, to and it was going to be fantastic. And Daniel Palencia was early ripe, early rotten. Early ripe, early rotten. Second inning, Daniel Palencia had a combination of he just couldn't quite get pitches over like he wanted to. His velocity was a little bit down. And there was at least one horrible ball strike call on two strikes with two outs. That if it was called strike as it probably should have been, innings over, he gets back into the dugout. But he ends up walking two more guys and bullpen comes in, walks a guy. The bullpen was actually guys I wanted to pay attention to as well. Um... Daniel Palencia started. The first reliever out of the shoot was um, Dowell Rodriguez, who had had a really good outing earlier in the series. And nobody pitched well for Myrtle Beach. Just absolutely nobody pitched well. Frankie Scalzo Jr. replaced Dowell Rodriguez. And Frankie Scalzo Jr. struggled as well. I did get to hear he was throwing 95. So I now have a number for Frankie Scalzo Jr., 95. Shortly after the 95, somebody one-hopped a liner to right field over the wall for a ground rule double. 
then a fly ball to Christian Franklin, and Franklin just absolutely boofed the fly ball. Uh, the next inning, was it Josue Uma, or is it, I think it was Uma, completely botched a, maybe it was Fabian Pertuz, botched a ground ball. It was just, it was just bad, 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 bad all over. Not really a whole lot to take from, frankly, any of the games today. Myrtle Beach lost 11-4, to and as far as taking anything long-term from it, nah, not really. It was a bad game for Daniel Palencia, but uh, had he gotten that one strike that probably should have been a strike, wouldn't have been nearly as bad, but it was kind of bad. Oh, well, you get over it. Stuff happens. Some days are threes as opposed to eights or nines, and today not a whole lot went well. There was one bit of information that possibly if you were not listening to the game, you would not have heard. And I'd mentioned a couple times last night that Kevin Made had been pulled from the lineup a half an hour before the Saturday game began. Now, when a player gets pulled a half an hour before a game starts, usually one of three things happen. One, he got traded. That didn't happen. Two, he got injured. Didn't know. Three, he was getting promoted. Didn't know. Um, today, amongst the, I won't even say nine innings because I didn't listen to the first, I only caught the back end of the first inning and then by the time the seventh inning came, I was done. I was absolutely done. Riley Martin got in. He wasn't even getting people out. So it's like, okay, I got to go do something else. I did a podcast or something. But, um, one of the things I did here before I cut out was Sam Wiederheft, who does a fantastic job calling games for Myrtle Beach, said something along the lines of, we're not sure when Kevin Made will be back. Actually, it was, I think the quote was, we're not sure when Made will be back, with Kevin in parentheses, um, which indicates to me he didn't get called up. If he got called up, then there wouldn't be a question of when is he coming back. It would be a question of, Congratulations, kick button South Bend, continue to do as well as you have been. It does sound like there is some sort of an injury. And when the announcer says, we're not sure when he will be back, it's a safe assumption that we don't know when he will be back. He's not on the injured list. He didn't play Friday, or he didn't play Saturday. He didn't play Sunday. He's not going to play Monday. There's no games on Monday. Um, we're not sure when he's going to be back. There are three series to go. One is in Myrtle Beach. And I've already talked with Sam on the Twitter machine. Next week, Myrtle Beach is playing against Lynchburg. Lynchburg's announcer is Maura Sheridan. And I'm going to listen to Maura call the game because... (laughs) No offense at all to Sam Wiederhaft. I like listening to Maura Sheridan call a baseball game. She does a very good job of it. And uh, I listened to her call uh, University of Vermont women's basketball. I listened to her call University of Vermont men's hockey. I like Maura Sheridan calling games. And for me, there is something um, 
different and special and amusing about listening to a totally competent woman calling a baseball game. It's fantastic. Um, so Sam has given me permission. I plan to listen to Mora calling the Myrtle Beach games next week. Um, I hope Mora's okay with it. Um, what else? Oh, one more thing. I, I was noticing there's a trend I had mentioned way, way, way earlier this year that, um, I kind of let go. I mentioned it. I made a point of it. I commented on it. Then I pulled back from it. That's how I like to do it. Make sure that everyone knows this is something I think. This is something I believe. This is something I've noticed. I want you to all be aware of this is out there. And then I'll let it go. I, I don't like to harp on things. But today, uh, Maura popped on to note that Lynchburg was winning like 14 to nothing. I think they won 16 to nothing. And uh, I immediately, wait, wait, wait a minute. Who, who the hell are they playing? Who, who are they playing? Because I, 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 I just want to know who they're playing. And yeah, sure as anything, they were beating up on the Kannapolis Cannonballers. So I figured I would do a little bit of research. Uh, not sure how familiar you are with OPS Plus and ERA Plus. Um, OPS Plus is what the players' OPS is based on what the league's OPS is. So, for instance, if a hitter has a 700 OPS, well, is that any good or not? You know, is, is that really good? Is that really bad? Well, what's the league's OPS? If the player's OPS is 700, but the league's OPS is 850, 700 is not a very good OPS. But if the player's OPS is 700 and the league's OPS is 600, 700 is a real good OPS. So it all depends upon how the league is doing. So I decided I would compare the Charleston River Dogs, who it seems like the Myrtle Beach Pelicans play every damn week. Just Not every week, but every other week. It seems like Myrtle Beach Pelicans, oh, we're going to play Charleston River Dogs again, and they like win 70% of their games. Um, so I decided I'd check Charleston's OPS Plus and ERA Plus. I would check Myrtle Beach's OPS and ERA Plus. I would check the Frederick Nationals OPS Plus and ERA Plus and the Kannapolis Cannonballers OPS Plus an ERA plus, just to get a basic idea for how good the teams really are. So if you have a 100 OPS plus, you are break even. If you have a 110 OPS, you are 10% better the league. If you have a 90 OPS plus, you are 10% worse than the league. Fair? Okay. So I decided OPS plus and ERA plus for Charleston River Dogs, Frederick Nationals, Myrtle Beach Pelicans, and Kannapolis Cannonballers. <sighs> I didn't do the entire version on the ERA Plus because the ERA Plus, you're also supposed to do some sort of a um, basing it on how many runs the field allows, and I don't have that. So I'm just treating all of them as if they're all basic. Uh, not entirely correct. Somebody will probably jump up and start yelling at their phone. How dare you say that? You did. Well, I don't know what the I don't know what the 
fielding rankings are for the different fields. The league ERA in low A East, I'm starting to call them by the right names. Oh my God, I'm terrible. Rob Manfred's going to give me a star. The oh, low A East ERA is 4.58. The Charleston River Dogs is 4.24. The Myrtle Beach Pelicans is 4.32. OPS, league average, 0.718. Charleston's is 0.781. Myrtle Beach, down there, 6.657. Cannonballers, 0.668 OPS. And Fred Nats, 0.638. Eight OPS. I don't know if you've noticed, but I didn't mention the Cannonballers and Fred Nats ERAs because it's fun that way. Okay, OPS plus. Charleston River Dogs, 109 OPS plus for the team against the league. They're 9% better than the league. They are really good. On average, they are 9% better than the league. You know, the, the guy that's sitting on the bench is still probably better than the league. Uh, Canapolis Cannonballers, 93 OPS plus. Myrtle Beach Pelicans, 92 OPS plus. Fred Nats, 89 OPS. So, Charleston River Dogs offensively, they're way up here. Myrtle Beach, Canapolis, Fred Nats, they're way down here at the bottom. Um, now, let's do the ERA plus. ERA plus, Charleston River Dogs, ERA plus. 108. Their average guy is 8% better than the league. Myrtle Beach Pelicans, ERA plus, 106. Myrtle Beach Pelicans, pitching very good. Average guy on Myrtle Beach, better than the league. Frederick Nationals, ERA plus, 69.7. Their average guy is 30% worse than the league. Their average guy is 30 worse than the league. Canapolis Cannonballers, ERA plus 65. Their average guy is 35% worse than the league. Now, Canapolis Cannonballers team, ERA 7.04. Frederick Nationals, ERA 6.57. The Myrtle Beach Pelicans, who are basically a 500 team, playing the Charleston River Dogs seemingly every other week. 500 team playing the Charleston River Dogs it seems like every other week have played a grand total of zero games against the Frederick Nationals or the Kannapolis Cannonballers. Zero games total. They will finish the year playing zero games total against those two really, really really bad teams. Do you think maybe if the um, Myrtle Beach Pelicans had played either of those really, really, really bad teams, maybe the offensive numbers would be a little tiny bit better? Maybe, just maybe, just maybe. Um, I've mentioned it. I'm over it. I said it. The reality is there's not a whole lot of benefit long term in having players play against pitchers who are really bad. There's really not much of an upside in it. You know, if you're like Arkansas and you play against a really horrible team 
in February or March. You beat them 27 to 5. It's all good because you get extra innings for the 7th and 8th and ninth relievers in your bullpen, and they get a chance to show what they've got to do. And, you know, they build up their dur- durability and their strength. and their. It, it's all good for a college team to win 23 to 5 or whatever. If you're losing 23 to 5, it really kind of sucks. Um, do I hope next year when the divisions actually matter, when there's actually going to be some playoffs and all that kind of stuff, do I hope that the um, South Bend, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans play really bad teams like the Frederick Nationals and the Kannapolis Cannonballers? I just don't understand how you have a team that's that bad. I, I looked at Kannapolis's record today. It, they, they win like 24% of their games. No, it's not that low. It's 27. How, how, how can you be that bad? Really, you know, it, it's baseball. How can you be that horrible so that you're giving up Six and a half runs a game or seven runs a game. Earned runs. That's not even including unearned runs. Um, people like to jab on the Cubs pipeline. Cubs fans like to jab on the Cubs pipeline. After all, they're a horrible organization. They're 27th on the list. Okay, fine. You know, they... I might argue with the list. I might agree with it. I might disagree with it. I think they might be missed, um, underrepresenting this, overrepresenting that, whatever, whatever. South Bend doesn't have a 7.04 ERA. And again, this is low A ball. This is low A ball. This isn't triple A. This isn't double A. This isn't high. This is low A ball. This is against guys who haven't yet proven they can play. They haven't yet proven that they can play. And the Washington Nationals and Chicago White Sox have such bad teams that they are routinely getting trounced. Absolutely routinely getting trounced. Now, the 16 to nothing, or the 14 to nothing, or whatever it is that um, happened today. Yeah, that's probably, that's a bit more one-sided than it usually is. But I was looking at the numbers. They had one guy probably just got called up after being drafted. He's hitting, you know, 400, whatever. They had like six guys in the lineup were hitting 210 or less. And yeah, I know Myrtle Beach had the same thing back a while ago, but Myrtle Beach's hitters are starting to hit quite a bit better. And they have upgraded some of the talent. But also, Myrtle Beach doesn't have an ERA of 7.04 or 6.57 at the low A level. You should not be giving up that many runs at that level. You just shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that hard to find a pitcher who can have a 4.5 ERA. 4.5-5 ERA. in low A ball. It shouldn't be that damn hard. Do I want Myrtle Beach to play those teams next year? No, really? No, I don't. What I'd really prefer is for organizations to, oh, maybe we want to flip and draft some guys who can play some baseball. Develop players better out of the international pool. 
figure out what the heck we're doing internationally. I've I've had a number of comments on how I think the White Sox have completely failed a number of their draft choices through the years by improperly um, developing them. Uh, Fulmer, for a while, Rodon seemed that way too, when a pitcher is in the lower level. Daniel Palencia, tonight, pitching for Myrtle Beach. He had a bad night. 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 He was walking too many guys. I think he walked five or six guys. Didn't even make it out of the second inning. Bad night. But as I was listening, he's throwing his fastball. He's throwing his curve. He's throwing his changeup. He's throwing all three of his pitches. He wasn't hitting on all of them. Sometimes he wasn't hitting on any of them. But you use all three pitches. You try to develop the entire pitcher the entire way along the line. It seems that with some teams there is no goal to try to develop the entire pitcher. It's a matter of if you are better than this league, then we'll move you up to the next level. So then what a pitcher does, at least what I do, I'm going to try to develop my way out of that league. Throw fastballs. And uh, what's your best pitch? Your slider, your curveball, your changeup. What's your best secondary pitch? You know, go with that and get the hell out of that league. Get the hell out of the league. Then move up to the next level. Learn some lessons there. Try to get better than it. Get promoted again. Get promoted again. Get promoted again. Get promoted again. Then you're at the major league level. What seems to me a much better method of doing it is show me all of your pitches. Show me you're getting all of your pitches over for strikes. Max Bain with South Bend. All year he's been at South Bend. He's generally gotten better. And his fastball, better command now than then. Curveball, better command now than then. Haven't really heard a whole lot on his change, on changeup. But I'm presuming that he's probably doing... Make the pitcher get better. Make the hitter get better. If the hitter shows he is actually better than the organiz- than the league, then move him the heck up. If the pitcher is using all of his pitches and is showing that he is better in the league, then move him the heck up. But don't move him the heck up until then. It was not a good day in the Cubs pipeline. That said, doesn't sound like anybody got hurt. Um... Alfonso Rivas had a hell of an opening day of playing in the major leagues and had two hits. Um, So yeah, there was some good stuff. It wasn't a particularly good day, but Daniel Palencia will have better days along the line. One other thing to toss in there, since you've stuck around for 27 minutes, as well as Kevin Made being mentioned as very potentially missing time due to some sort of ailment. Max Toma was going through the rotation for South Bend, presumably for the next week. His starter on Saturday is Joe Nahas, who started today. The starter on Wednesday is going to be Max Bain. He sounds to be a guy who they want to go every five days. The starter on 
Tuesday and Sunday will be the same guy and, crikey, I'm not remembering who it is. Somewhere in the middle there, you're going to start Anderson Espinoza. There's another name that was mentioned, but the name that he went, once he started listing the names, he started listing the names, and I started to realize what he was doing a little bit late. But after the fact, I ran through the names when I could still remember who he'd said. And I specifically remember not hearing the name Alexander Vizcaino. I remember specifically not hearing Alexander Vizcaino's name. To me, to me, to me, to me, and sometimes I guess wrong on this kind of stuff. It could be he is done for the year. It could be any of a various number of different things. But to me, it sounds like Alexander Vizcaino might be about ready for a trip to the Tennessee Smokies. The Tennessee Smokies are planning to play on Tuesday. They have a COVID outbreak. They have a number of players who can't go. And once the news broke that there were a number of players, not just one or two either, that were on COVID watch, I understood rather quickly why Brandon Hughes was playing center field when Brandon Hughes is now a pitcher. I understood it because after the fact, oh, okay, a whole bunch of guys can't play. If you're going to need an outfielder, you send out to outfield a guy who used to play outfield even though he's a pitcher now. That made sense. It could well be the Smokies are trying to locate anyone on Iowa or Tennessee or South Bend or maybe, 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 maybe even Mesa. Get us guys. We need guys to be able to play. We need guys to be able to play on Tuesday night. I don't know how many guys are healthy. I don't know how many guys are going to be healthy, but it sounds like they want to play games. So if they're going to play games, they're going to have to have, oh, I don't know, 13, 14 hitters. They're going to be able to cover for in case somebody gets injured. You're going to need a shitload of pitchers. Sending up Alexander Vizcaino for one of the starts, whichever start it is, one of the starts would make absolute sense. He made mincemeat out of the Palm Beach hitters. Sending Alexander Vizcaino to double A would perfectly make sense. I don't know if he will be successful there because jumping to double A is quite a jump. But if you have Alexander Vizcaino, I've looked at the list. I've looked, uh, I saw a list of like seven names of players who at the time were not going to be good to go. And I didn't pot commit the names. Uh, I don't think Caleb Killian was on the list. He, he, Whichever pitcher ought to be able to go on Tuesday or Wednesday because they didn't play on, what was that? 
They didn't play Thursday. They didn't play Friday. They didn't play Saturday. They didn't play Sunday. So, you know, at least Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I can't remember Thursday. But they, pretty much everybody is going to be, you know, everybody should be able to pitch either on Tuesday or Wednesday if they're, you know, alive and healthy and well and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you get a Caleb Killian. You get a Alexander Vizcaino. I don't know who else is healthy. Javier Assad. You, you, just, you, you throw out guys. You throw out guys. Hey, give us five or six innings. And you turn to the bullpen. Hey, can you give us two? And you call up a guy from Mesa. You call up a guy from South Bend. Hey, go out there and give us what you got. We'll, we'll see. We're not going to hold it against you if you're, if you're underwater. Um, Tennessee is going to want to get in the games. That would make sense. You get in. One guy that would make sense to me at the AA level um if there uh the, um great now i've forgotten his name <sighs> well actually it's hard to call up guys from south men because there's not going to be anybody coming up from myrtle beach so it, it, whoever they send whoever they send it could end up being that for Tennessee, of the nine guys in the starting lineup on Tuesday night, four or five of them might be absolute complete fill-ins. You might have a catcher playing first base. You might have a guy who's not really a DH DHing. Um, it'll be a case of wanting to get innings for pitchers. It will be a case of wanting to get bats for hitters. You'll want to get Brendan Davis a chance to play. You want to have Nelson Velazquez get some more at-bats. You want all of the players who are good and ready to go. You want all of them playing. Maybe, maybe, maybe they might run up a Jonathan Peralaza. I don't know. I haven't heard anything. I certainly wouldn't be the first. I certainly wouldn't be told if they're going to do anything. But as far as Tuesday night, from what it sounds like, Tennessee does want to play. There's no reason to not have Brennan Davis playing. There's no reason to not have Brennan Davis playing. So you get a lineup, you get 13 offensive guys, you get 14 pitchers or whatever it ends up being, and some other guys who you're ready to call up from someplace else if they're needed, uh, and go with it. You, you see what you got and you play. It's not a case of, heck, the cannonballers don't get embarrassed when they lose 16 to nothing. Tennessee, if they send out a roster full of guys and some of them don't belong there and they end up losing 11 to 1 because half their team has COVID, stuff happens. But you do want to get the at-bats for the players who are healthy. So I hope tonight's uh, overview of things, despite not much going on in the pipeline, very quiet night in the pipeline, yet I managed to talk for 35 minutes. I guess I don't know how to shut up. Um, thanks for stopping by, be safe, and have a great next week.